Hey, it's Sean Fennessy, one of the hosts of the Prestige TV podcast. HBO's Barry is back for a fourth and final season. And that means I'll be back recapping the show with co-creator and star Bill Hader to dive deep on the themes, scenes, and major moments in the series. Bill will provide insight into how every episode was made and why it's ending. New Prestige TV Barry recaps will go live every Sunday night when the episode ends. So make sure you're subscribed to the Prestige TV podcast wherever you get your podcasts. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. On today's episode of One Shining Podcast, we are back. It was one week away and it was a long week and a lot happened in the world. So at the top of the show, myself and Kyle, we're going to work through what you missed, what we missed, what we didn't get to talk about. It might be too much to even get through, but that's why we brought on our old friend, Kyle Mann, to break down what's happening in the NBA playoffs, talk about Air, uh, the movie about Michael Jordan and signing with Nike. It's going to be uh, fun breaking down that one. That was good. Uh, and also just talking about, in general, the transfer portal, uh, a.k.a. the tamper portal. A lot of tampering happening in college basketball. But it's been a long week, like I said. I'm excited to get back. I'm excited to be back here with Kyle to talk about our time at the Wooden Award. Um, which was a ridiculous ceremony that both of us were at, which was a lot of fun in Los Angeles. Uh, Kyle, are you excited to get back to One Shining Podcast? Did you have fun on your vacation? It was great. It was awesome. It was exactly <laughs> the right amount of time. Uh, this is, it's just been, it's been a wonderful week. And then yet somehow it seemed like way too long. So it's good to be back. It was way too long. And uh, that's why we got to get back into this. We, we got to talk about all things happening in the world of basketball and beyond. Um, I'm ready. If you're ready, let's do it. But first, Woody Durham. All right, welcome back to One Shining Podcast. And as it was before and as it hopefully will continue to be, I am your host, Tate Frazier, and I am in Los Angeles, California right now. We took a week off, Kyle. Um, it, it was a long week. A lot happened in the world. Um, a lot of big things, you know, whether if you're you know, a fan of television, right, succession, uh, you know, no spoilers here, but something big, something dramatic happened on that show. The NBA playoffs started. Austin Reeves is now a max player in the NBA. I mean, there's a lot of things happening in the world of basketball. In China, where we might be fixing basketball games, right? That's that's some big news that's coming out. So <laughs> yes. a lot has happened, Kyle. Um, first of all, we'll, we'll talk about it. We have a, a story time between the two of us that we're going to get into before, you know, before we get into Kyle Mann, who's going to be on the show later today. But what happened during your week away? I mean, we, we also launched a TV show, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you didn't check out. that out. Pretty ballsy move for us to, you know, the the ad folks are talking to us they're like so what are you guys doing and we're like trying to explain it like we're going to do a little bit of everything it was a pretty ballsy move i think on our part to just say we're going to go away for a week yeah <laughs> because the other the other college basketball pods did not <laughs> and we were just like you know what we deserve it uh and you know i'm i don't regret it i do acknowledge though it was a little ballsy 
Yeah, a lot of things happen. You know, the transfer portal, right? That's a big thing. And uh, it feels like every single day Joe Tipton's got, you know, a new tweet that he's like, I got 12 updates on on new teams for former four-star and five-star recruits. Every single day there, there's more saga. There's more tampering. Like I said uh, in the takeaways the last time you heard from us, there's a lot of tampering happening in college basketball right now. In fact, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of people tweeting in all caps, source, colon, and then they recklessly recklessly speculate about what's going to happen. My number one reckless speculation that's happening right now in college basketball, and this goes back to tampering, there's a story that is is happening that has been put out there. It's a narrative that's being pushed. It's not true, I don't believe, but Ryan Nimhard, who is transferring from Creighton, former point guard of Creighton, and apparently Art Kaluma, Arthur Kaluma, um, are going together as a package deal to Arizona. That is the the latest scuttlebutt in the world of tampering. It is not true. It is not reported, but there's been a lot of capital source colon. This is what's happening. And, and I want to put that in perspective, too, because Kaluma's not even in the transfer portal yet, but that's how rampant tra- you know transfer tampering is right now. I mean, anything is possible. You're hearing this guy's going to go here. Oh, wait a second. Now Kansas is in the mix. Um, Hunter Dickinson has turned into the Bigfoot of college basketball. He just is on different campuses and there's like these grainy photos of him like at Chick-fil-A, you know, or like (laughs) randomly in the quad of Georgetown's campus or whatever it may be. He's been at Maryland. He's apparently going to Kansas, right? So if you have Hunter Dickinson, you know that picture of Bigfoot where he's got his arm swinging that we've seen a million times? Yeah, the the best one. The best one. If you've seen Strange Wilderness, you know what we're talking about. That is Hunter Dickinson right now. I feel like that is the Photoshop that we need. We need Hunter Dickinson's head on Bigfoot's face. He is the Bigfoot of college transfer portal tampering. Um, So those are, you know, like we said, we we went a week away. Kyle said it was a bold move. Some would say it's a brazen move, especially when you're one (laughs) month into a new podcast. But, you know, who's to say? Again, there was a television show. You could have seen us there uh, through the ringer. Go check that out. But look, we're, we're back. Um, but we did do something that nobody else in college basketball media did, Kyle, uh, which is, I, I guess, helping. Nobody w- fucked around and did this. Nobody did this. Um, and maybe that's helping with some of our, you know, respect, because at the end of the day, I do have a degree. I am a capital J. Maybe I should hang it around my neck like I'm Flavor Flav so I get some respect out here. I'm like the Roddy Dangerfield of college basketball. Um but not on Friday night, not two Friday nights ago, because two if you Friday were nights ago, not right. two Friday nights ago, I was there um, and you were there as well, because at the end of our show, I mentioned that, you know, I was going to go to the Wooden Award, which, if you don't know, is the ceremony is the award given out by the Wooden family. It recognizes the best coach in college basketball, not of the season, but it's kind of like a a lifetime achievement award for the coaches. And Don Staley was the one who was awarded on this Friday night, this faithful Friday night that you and I were there. Caitlin Clark was getting it um, for the women. And then of course, Zach Eady was getting it for the men. And I told you I was going, you said, do you have a plus one? We had the little ratata is, is a plus one yeah. expected. Um, well, I reached out to Chris Acker, our guy at the wooden award. I said, we need Kyle in the building. He hit me directly back. He said, tell nephew Kyle, he has a drink limit, only two drinks, but otherwise he's invited. Uh, blew that you, out of the water. <laughs> you blew that out of the water, but we'll, we'll get to that, you know, and we'll get into that. So I hit you up. I'm like, you need a suit. You're like, I can put one together. I can piece one together. Um, we we came dap, dappered up, dressed to the nines. We go to the LA Athletic Club. Never been, by the way, downtown Los Angeles. Uh, a lot of people talk bad about DTLA. Not you and I. We never would. 
Um, I famously worked at LA Live in downtown. We are now at Spotify downtown. Yeah, I, LA, I could scrap. You <laughs> could scrap. We could scrap. You took the train in the other day. You took the train I did. in. I did. To, okay, so we're we're going to the awards ceremony on Friday, and Kyle is the only person at the ceremony, this function, that took the train in. Correct, right? Has to be. Has what to what be. was that experience no like chance. in a suit, by the way, before we get into oh, the dude. actual ceremony? It was, I mean, everybody wants to talk to you. They always think you got something for them. Uh, it was, it was quite <laughs> a strange, me and one woman who just were like, you know, kind of were out of place. It's just like a lot. Of, it's just a lot of, it's just a, it's a circus. Let me it's just put lot. it that way. To, yeah. I don't want to offend anybody. It's just a circus on the train. It's not like the New York City train where everybody, you know, everyone's doing their thing. We're like, hey, we're all just getting someplace, right? No, it's the L.A. train. It's much different. It's uh, it's covert. You know what I mean? A lot of folks in L.A. don't even know there is a train. And if they do, they don't know where it takes you. So you really got to be a certain type of person to know where that train takes you. And I've been there. You know, I was a scooter guy. You know, I was a, I was an Uber guy. I was a bus guy. I know all yeah. the ins and outs of this. And I was just like, you know what? It's right across from Frolic Room. I'll have two drinks and then I'll take the train. So that's what I did. And I just, I forgot that I was wearing a suit and just, you stick out like a Thor thumb, a sore thumb on that place. And uh, I just locked eyes with one woman who were just like, this is crazy, huh? And that's, yeah. kind of, that's kind of, we were just kind of locking eyes for the whole, you know, 25 minutes. But I got off without a scratch. I don't know if you watch Yellowstone, but when John Dutton says, take someone to the train station, I assume that he means take them to LA's train station and you'll never be seen again. Um, that <laughs> yeah. is sort of the implication there. So immediately we get to the the event. You and I uh, meet up in the lobby. Um, you tell me that you came from the train station. I'm like, oh my goodness. You said, uh, what you, the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? You also came uh, straight from Frolic Room, um, which goes back to the original point. Chris, our guy at the Wooden Award, he's like, uh, Kyle's fine, but also we got to make sure we lock him up because there's going to be a lot of diplomats in this room, like a lot of, uh, you know, movers and shakers in the world of college basketball. And as we quickly realize when we get upstairs to the third floor, lovely event, very like old, you know, classic building, right? There's, you know, beautiful pictures. There, there's bookcases everywhere. Um, and you and I are the only people that really aren't like friends of the actual players, family, anybody, really, any, <laughs> right. There's no media there other than myself and Kyle. We go straight to the bar. Bartender loves Kyle. You, you're already, you're already like working your way into these channels. I'm making right? friends. You're making friends. We're, we're doing our best. We're, we're trying to keep our head on a swivel, but immediately we see Trace Jackson Davis, right? Indiana. Great. We see Drew Timmy, right? Gonzaga, great. We see Zach Eady, all seven foot four of him. And you and I are like, this is pretty cool. We're, we're seeing some of the big names here. But the biggest name in the room was someone that we we immediately saw. We took a left, Caitlin Clark. All right. I mean, right. I mean, Caitlin Clark, she was the biggest star in the building, right? That was our big takeaway early on. It was like when you, when you do the, uh, what's the aura, the star power, whatever you want to call it. Caitlin Clark is number one on the deck as far as the Wooden Award. So that was what that was my first big takeaway, right? As we got into the room. Right. And I didn't even get close enough to her until we were in the food line. You know, we we were the first mm. folks in the food line. Some would say that's a little tacky, but I mean, we just we went and got the salads and then we waited. And when I was thinking about getting back into the food line is when I saw her broad shoulders on Caitlin Clark. And yeah. she's six foot, but she's a tall six foot. You know, I, I did this on Rosillo, so forgive me if anybody ever heard this, but that's a tall six foot. I mean, they were talking about Caitlin Clark, and I was like, you know, you guys, there's three of us here. I'm the only one who's seen her in person. And um, she passes the eye test, so you say. Like, uh, you know, when the when the camera zoomed out, you can't really tell, but uh, when you're thinking about jumping in front of somebody for the line, you'll wait till Caitlin Clark goes past you. That's what I'll tell you. 
Yeah, Caitlin Clark is legit. Uh, she she checks all the boxes. There was also a great funny wrinkle early on when we got in there. There's a guy standing by the bar that looks kind of like Ted Danson, right? <laughs> and Kyle is convinced this man is famous. So much so that he's asking anyone and everyone that's willing to listen to and entertain. <laughs> and then did you eventually ask him, right? And he, and he had to convince you that he wasn't famous? I didn't ask him. I did talk to him. I did find a way to talk to him. I was like, we're both going to get a drink at the same time. I did ask around. I was like, who is that guy? Like, oh, he's somebody's dad. I'm like, nah, I know this guy. He's a that guy. If you watch, if you listen to the rewatchables, he looks like a that guy. I'm mm -hmm. sure if somebody could show me the uh, photo of the that guy that he looks like, I'd be, I'd be finally could put this to rest. But I'm sure I've seen that guy somewhere. Apparently, he's just somebody's dad. But uh, he looks like a that guy. Yeah, he definitely was just somebody's dad. He was definitely a little taken aback that you wanted him to be famous. He looked like Brian Dutcher and Ted Danson in one. Like if they if they were to to mix their faces together and body type. That's why I thought you thought it was Brian Dutcher. It was not Brian Dutcher. Um, we did see Dawn Staley, though. Dawn Staley came into the room. Talk about charisma. Talk about an aura. She comes in. She had a red eye flight going out of there basically immediately after the ceremony is over. So basically Dawn yeah. Staley was like, I will be here for the hour allotted, and then I'm out of here. Um, so that that was a cool moment, too. We tried to take a picture with Dawn Staley. It did not work out. She gave us 30 minutes on the of, of basically an interview, and that's when I knew, that's when we were told that, like, yeah, she's out here on a red eye. There's no chance. But during that 30-minute interview that she did, all I wanted more and more was to get a picture with her. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't super, like, honed in on, like, most things in college basketball. And and professional basketball. I wasn't super honed in, but the more I learned about Don Staley, the more I was like, we need this photo. This will be great. And the less, and the longer she stayed, the less it was a possibility. And she gave us like 30 full minutes on that podium. And there was just no way. Yeah, there um, was just, it, it was great though. Like it was a great little back and forth. And weirdly, the way that they set up the ceremony. So you're like in this room, there's like, 15 rows of chairs, right? But it's all, like I said, friends and family, it's coaches. Tight. It's very tight-knit group. And so the, they call in all the coaches and all the players like as they're getting announced. And as they're walking in, Kyle, you were the only one, I think, that was treating it like they were walking into an arena. Like you were like, you know, you were cheering, you were yelling. Yes. Zach, Zach Eady's mom was right in front of us. She, like Matt Painter walks in and you go crazy for Matt Painter. And she thinks that, she liked I guess, that. She, I think she thought that we were like Purdue guys at that point until you said that her son sounded like Andre the Giant. I think that was. I don't she know if she loved on. that. I think that's when she turned. I think that's when she turned on us. But it, it was great. It was like we we were the only two people at a pep rally, and everyone else was at like their awards banquet. You know, we we were like the we did not uh, necessarily fit the bill, which was great. Um, but one of the Dawn Staley points that I wanted to mention, she did it like her little sit down interview. They go through her time at Temple. They go through her like Olympic days, right? Show what a tough competitor yeah. she is, which is really cool. She went into detail about that, made some jokes. Um, but then they bring Caitlin Clark up to do her same sit down interview, right? She wins the Wooden Award and they show her beating Dawn Staley and it's strictly South Carolina highlights. Right. And, and you and I were like, wow, that was a wait a little, second. Yeah. Wait, like that's a little like rub it in. Like Dawn Staley just won her award. We just talked to her. And now you're like almost rubbing it in her face, which goes back to what I was talking about, the genius, the or whatever you want to call it about Caitlin Clark, because she immediately sits down for her, you know, supposed to be her spotlight. And she kind of turned the spotlight back on Dawn Staley. An she entire was, bouquet of flowers for Dawn. I mean, like just made it all about Dawn Staley and like how important Dawn Staley was and like watching her on the Olympic team, how it inspired her as a player. Nail and I'm it. just, yeah. And you and I are sitting there and we're like, 
it, it took us back when they tried to make it feel like they were sunning Don Staley and Caitlin Clark. If she wasn't the kind of player, person, whatever you want to call it, that she is, she would have just ran with it and been like, I'm the shit. But instead, she was like, no. Back to Dawn Staley. She's the shit. And I love her. And I love the way that she represents basketball and yada, yada, yada. And uh, I don't know. The the My biggest number one takeaway is like Caitlin Clark star. You know what I mean? Like, it, obviously, we see it on the basketball court. But the media savvy was something to behold because they almost set her up to to do something not so great. And the same thing with Angel Reese, right? Everyone, when Angel Reese is doing the you can't see me and everything, they're like, I, I'm sure Caitlin Clark must feel so great by that action. And then Caitlin Clark, when she's asked about it, she's like, I don't care. I would have did the same shit. Like, yeah, she was like, yeah, she won the championship. She can do what she wants. Um, which everyone was like, wow, right answer. Caitlin Clark continues to get the right answer. She did that on this night. Uh, so kudos to her. Speaking of doing the right thing, the whole entire Purdue team was there. And this is a uh, wild, wild, right? We asked our guy, Chris, we're like, you know, Chris is, it works for the wooden award. He's seen everything. We're like, Chris, does this typically happen, right? It, it, this is an individual award. Does the team usually come out and support him? He's like, don't, don't ever really see that. If ever, um, in his time there, Fletcher lawyers in the building, Mason Gillis is in the building. Of course, Matt painters in the building, and I think the other crazy wrinkle about Zach Eady, he wins the award, right? They bring him up. He has his little spotlight, um, you know, setting where they're, they're going through his year. They ask him immediately about losing to a 16 seed. This guy just won <laughs> national player of the year. And they're immediately going at his neck about like, that's what got it you journalism. Like. That's what right. that is. It was, it was like muckraker stuff. And I'm the only <laughs> journalist Jay in the room that I know of. Um, and I'm, I'm up in arms about it. I'm like, this is the first thing we ask Zach Eady. We, we immediately go at the, uh, the 16 seed here, but Hey, it happens. He handled it with grace. I think the fact that the whole Purdue team was there said to me, Kyle, there's a redemption chance for the Boilermakers. You know, obviously we saw it with Virginia. They lose to a one seed. They come back the next year, win the national championship. Purdue fans are trying to hang their hat on that to say that maybe they could do the same thing. I liked what I saw from Matt from Matt Painter being there and the way the whole team was interacting, the fact that they're still supporting Zach Eady. So that's another, that's my number two big takeaway. Purdue's going to be all right, you know? Because let me just be honest. If, if you lose to FDU as a 16 seed and you were number one for the majority of the season, that's easy to break. That's easy to fracture. I'm probably pointing fingers, Kyle. It, 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 you know what I mean? It, it, natu <laughs> right. Natural human instinct. You're probably going to start pointing up. Somebody, probably the guy who's a national player of the year. I'm probably pointing <laughs> fingers at him, um, to be quite honest, because he's the best player on the team. But, but all no. these guys, all all these guys came and supported him, and uh, I don't know. That meant something to me. It, it kind of it, it warmed my heart a little bit. So shout out to the, to the Purdue team. Uh, speaking of the Purdue team, I had a uh, a very social um, one of those like Larry David moments in your life where you're like, I don't know what protocol is here, but I don't I don't I don't like what's happening. Perfect example. We're at this beautiful function, right? Bathrooms are right through the hallway to the left. I'm like, all right, the ceremony's about to start. Let me just go use the restroom real quick. I don't want to interrupt. You know, we don't. I, I, we didn't even know we could get drinks during this. By the way, we we should have used this. The ceremony went for like two hours. We stood there like it was we were quite in long. church. Yeah, we 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 treated like Sunday mass. We didn't move at all. I mean, I, I I was parched, but we we were good guys. But anyways, before the ceremony starts, I go to the restroom by myself. Uh, you know, nice bathroom. I walk in. There's urinals, but it's like a trough, and I'm like, you know, I'm I'm over it. I'm gonna go get my nice space. You know, this empty bathroom. Go into the stall. All things are fine, right? You know, things are going great. Behind me comes the whole Purdue team. 
And I'm thinking to myself, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, thank God I didn't go to the trough. You know what I mean? I don't want to be, that, that's just a lot. There's like eight guys coming in. This is, this is too much. Thankfully, I'm in a stall. I got my safe space. I got my safe space. I'm in my stall. I'm 30 <laughs> right. years old, right? I'm over Door's this. Locked. I, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. No one's going to infringe on my personal space or my personal time. Little did I, little did I know, little did I think about the fact that there is, as I mentioned, the Wooden Award winner himself. The tallest a, man in America. A seven foot four man. And the seven foot four man comes in the bathroom, Zach Eady. He goes in the stall next to me because I'm sure he's just like me. He's like, I, I mean, this is a lot. Uh, troughs are, you know, it's fine when you're at a music festival or whatever. But like, this is a nice area, nice space. I'm going to go to my stall. Zach Eady goes to the stall next to me. In the classic Larry David fashion, you think you're in a safe space. All of a sudden, I have a big man burrowing over my you face. See his shoulders. His shadow. <laughs> I see his, I see his, his shadow over top of me. Um, I, I'm like, I feel like, uh, you know, Bigfoot is right on my back. He's looking over at me. I'm like, this is, I, I lost all my safe space. I lost all my private space. And it was the only way in this world that you could ever lose it in a stall in a bathroom in America. And I was like, I was just laughing to myself, you know, because I was like, I, I thought I'd figure out the game. <laughs> And here he is, Zach Eady, right next to me. So what a moment um, with the Purdue basketball team. That was my Purdue moment of the day. Um, that was hilarious. Shout out to them. They seem like a great group of guys. And then I walk out the bathroom, wash my hands, of course, as, as we all of do. Course. Get outside. Gotta let them know, though. You gotta make There's sure. A movement. You know, There's a movement of young people who think it's cool to not wash their hands. I it is not cool I didn't know to where not this came from. Wash <laughs> your hands, cool. kids. My God, wash your hands and don't start forest fires, okay? Those Stay are the two in school, things. wash your hands. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. It's cool to wash your hands. I go outside, Trace Jackson Davis right there, give him a little dap up. The Indiana, uh, you know, video guy comes and talks to us. He's like, you know, we're, we're friends of the program, da-da-da-da. Trace Jackson Davis, great guy. Approval, 100% approval rating from 100%. OSP now um, after this, after we saw this. So anyways, I just wanted to say one of my takeaways was Purdue-Indiana, great rivalry, all that sort of stuff. Opinion validated uh, after seeing it firsthand. Purdue, Indiana, you have my respect. Tip of the cap. Um, so that was that was great to see boots on the ground, um, and it was a great ceremony overall. One last thing I wanted to point out from this whole experience: you were getting a little sauced up later at the end, and Drew Timmy was looking at you, and you were looking <laughs> at Drew Timmy. What were you close to fighting Drew Timmy? That's what the people are asking. Uh, definitely not. He was actually, if anything, I was further away than I ever would have been, which was never even close. He's just bigger than I thought, man. He's, a, I mean, okay. what is he? What is he clocking? Six ten, six he's eight. Six, Maybe six, he six, saw ten. me looking at him because I thought he was like a six five, you know, six four sort of guy out there. Just because the dudes around him are, are pretty tall, but uh, when you guys are in the same function, uh, my God, I mean, he just. He's just a mountain of a man. For I mean, I think he's like six ten or something. Uh, and also, he had uh, the mustache was n wasn't nearly in full effect, so I don't think I could take my eyes off that either. Yeah, no Mark Few in the building. Also, was a wrinkle. They said he was, was out. He was out recruiting, but I I thought that was notable. Had to point that out. Speaking of the coaches that are usually there, Mike Woodson was recruiting. That's why he was not there. Just wanted to point that out. But he was supposed to be there originally, so he planned to be there at least. But yeah, Drew Timmy. Um, seemed like a great guy, you know, seemed like he was getting along well, seemed to be happy to be there. They actually turned out to be quite a great, a great like group of people of wooden award winners. And I know that's what the wooden family kept saying. They're like, these are great scholar athletes, but they all just seem like good people. Um, and maybe that's the whole point of the wooden award because John Wooden, obviously the pyramid of success, um, all good things. And shout out to the wooden family, by the way. Right. Um, and, you know, succession just came out. <laughs> you know, and I just I got some succession <laughs> vibes from the wooden family. It was just like, right. uh, you know, my dad, 
really would have loved these group of guys. It was it all it was all back to the dad, but you know the guy's special because he's the kid. I just uh, you know Succession just came out, and I was just I couldn't I couldn't stop my mind from wandering to that sort of parallel. It felt like the granddaughter is actually the one who's next up, right? It felt like the granddaughter she was like giving out the awards. You know they were they were pushing her up more. So I, I could see what the Wooden family's doing. They're looking towards the future. Also in the LA Athletic Club, one it's a hotel, which I had no idea. So shout out to them for the hospitality. But two, they have an indoor indoor court uh, in downtown LA. Hard to find indoor courts in Los Angeles, and it's called the Wooden Court. You know what I mean? Like in oh LA. My God. Did you right? find out which floor it was on? It's on the fourth there. floor, I think. Oh, you said uh, it. Now you said we it. Gotta, well, we got to go play on it. That's <laughs> that's. On, I hope Chris is listening. Let's he said he Chris. would. Chris said he would come on the show also and and tell us like uh you know ridiculous stories you know in the past maybe use some aliases but we need that um, especially if it's Bill Walton related we got a nice Bill Walton video um during the ceremony where he talked yes. about John Wooden and and how much he meant to him that and was he kept great. it short could you believe that <laughs> right right honestly that was. <laughs> It was an amazing night. And uh, like I said, we I felt like we were privy to something we weren't supposed to be privy to. So I appreciate everyone at the Wooden Award for making it possible. I felt completely I didn't belong. And Same. I think maybe you did too, but maybe more because I was there. But uh, I, no. I think you liked that I was there. But I think at the same time, you were like, I really hope this wasn't a mistake. And I think we pulled it off. I think my favorite part was when you asked Chris where to smoke your cigarettes. And uh, and, he, and, no, and he his... No, I know, I know that, <laughs> but you didn't. No, but, you but, but you got to go outside. You got to go outside. It was all good. It was it was a fun time. We had great food, by the way. Shout out to the food. I mean, anytime oh, the salmon was unbelievable. The miso right. salmon. Come on, come on, come on. In a pasta bar? Are you kidding me? Like this is what this is what we needed. Oh, the pasta uh, was like pressed in the in house. It was great. Mm, yeah, it was it was it was beautiful stuff. So shout out to the Wooden Award. We want to come back. We plan to be back. I did not lose my vote. Um, that was my only concern of the night. I confirmed that on the way out. I did not lose my wooden. <laughs> that was our I, one goal. <laughs> right. That was all I needed. So I will be back hopefully next year. Um, a couple, I, I want to run down a few other things that happened while, while we were away. Again, it was just one week, but it felt a lot longer. Um, I went to Disneyland for the first time. Um, and I had to be there for 12 hours, Kyle. And, uh, it was not for me. Um, I, I This is not a Ron DeSantis point, but like Disneyland is a long time for 12 hours. The things you do for your girlfriends in this life. Um, I survived barely. Um, I had fun at the Rise of Resistance, the Star Wars ride. That was fun. I had fun doing that. But boy, Disney and Disney people, these Disney adults, Kyle, have you seen these people? It's scary. It's scary out here. Uh, it got to me. It got to me. So we'll leave it be. Shout out to Disney for for hosting us. I, I had some fun. But again, and 12 you did, hours. You did great in the photos. You had told me before you were like, you didn't know. You didn't right. know what was going to happen. I was like, hey, I didn't have the best time. I, my Star Wars was a little underwhelming. They didn't have the newest attraction that you said went really well. They didn't have that for me. Uh, I didn't book enough. Uh, out in advance to go to the cantina. The lightsabers was just turned out to be a bit of a money suck. So I was just pushing buttons in the Millennium Falcon, feeling <laughs> like uh, you know, dude. How about that a, ride? A, if a you're the twenty pilot, year old and a ten year old's ride. If you're the pilot, you get to have the best time, and it's like two people get to be the pilots. Then two people are the shooters, and then two people are the loaders or whatever the hell they are. So the two people that are the pilots, they do everything. They're like driving the boat. One goes up and down. One goes left to right. Pretty cool, right? You're in the Millennium Falcon. But the two other people behind them are the shooters. There's a button that pops up, and it's like whack-a-mole. You just press the button every time it lights up. And then the people that are behind them don't do anything. They don't. They literally don't. That's the ride. They just yeah. they're on. They're on the ship. 
I don't know. That, you end that's... up being like, don't patronize me, guys. I just, right. I like Star Wars. Don't patronize me, though. <laughs> Soaring over California is great. I enjoyed that. that. That was the first ride I went on. But this Guardians of the Galaxy ride, which is formerly Tower of Terror, I mean, you're going to hear from my lawyers. I got whiplash. Uh, I didn't, I mean, they're <laughs> dropping me eight stories. Like, I don't even have anything over my shoulders. I'm 30 years old. There's like a 60 year old man next to me and he gets done. He jumps up spry as ever. I'm like, did you stretch before this? Like I, I got literally like my neck is about to, I'm, I'm about to die here. Uh, Chris Pratt, you're going to hear from my lawyers. Uh, but yeah, shout out to Disneyland. I survived first time I will go with my nieces, but never as an adult solo again. Uh, the NBA playoffs started, in case you missed it. Go check out everything. Kevin O'Connor, the Ringer NBA, that whole crew, they're having a good time. The Nike Hoop Summit happened. Uh, they had a lot of NIL valuations. Bronny is valued at $7.2 million. We're going to talk to Kyle Mann about that coming up, but that was a big thing that happened. Um, also, I got a little Bronny scoop to tease it. I'm going to talk to Kyle Mann about that. I got some Bronny insiders, Kyle. They're giving me the news, um, so I know what's going on. Uh, Baylor Shireman, an OSP air from Creighton, is back, and so is the headband for white guys. He obviously rocks the headband. Joe Burrow, first day in camp with the Bengals rocking a headband. Um, it's happening, Kyle. It's back. It's early 2000. This is good for 50 Cent fans, right? And also 50 Cent is a Kings fan, apparently, at the playoffs game. So shout out to 50 Cent. Saw that. Good for Kyle Creighton, too. Wow. Great for Kyle Creighton. Great for 50 Cent. That is a nice little synergy that we like to see on this show. Uh, John Rahm won the Masters. I love John Rahm. I know a lot of people were pulling for the American Brooks Kepka. I was I was pulling for John Rahm because I bet money on him and he did it. Um, also, Juvenile said, what the F is a Tiny Desk concert? And no, he yeah, will he not did. be doing one. Um, I thought, <laughs> And that then was he my... walked it back. And then he walked it back once he learned who they were. Like, all right, maybe I'll, do, like, it. Maybe, maybe I'll do it. Maybe I'll do it. But uh, shout out to Juvenile because that was pure and I love that. And uh, that, that's why we love Love that era of cash money, right? That that's the kind of response and the bravado that I like to see from my cash money. If it's not summer jam, he don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, I saw air. We're gonna we're gonna discuss some of that with Kyle. Man, I have some thoughts. Maybe shed a tear or two because I loved it so much. Um, plus, I had a big college basketball related revelation while watching Austin Reeves. We'll talk about that again with Kyle. Man, but those are all the things that happened while we were away. Not too crazy. Shout out again to the Wooden Award. And now let's get to our guy, Kyle Mann. Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddle boards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! All right, joining us now on One Shining Podcast. It has been way too long. We have been texting and talking as basketball uh, transfer portal decisions are being made. NBA playoffs are starting, but he is the great Kyle Man. Kyle Man, it's great to see you again and great to talk basketball again with you, man. Oh my god, way too <laughs> long. Yeah, it's funny how you go from uh you go from having something that, you know, when we first started I guess the, my point here is that for for as short amount of a time that we've been in each other's lives, Tate, you know, I, I missed it intensely. You know, right. for for that's you know, it's an interesting little dynamic we have going here. 
Yeah, and it was one of those things where it became part of a routine, right? We got March Madness. We got action. We got good basketball. We're watching Synergy back. We're we're pulling out clips that we want to talk about. It was a it was a nice routine. And then all of a sudden, boom, off season, college basketball goes, you know, back to the doormat that it is for the national media. <laughs> and uh, and we we kind of look around and say, oh my god, now we got to talk about, I guess, draft prospects. But that's a little too far out. And now we got NBA playoff mode, which goes back to one of my favorite debates in basketball. And I feel like it's the the topic of conversation mainly because of Giannis and John uh. ja Morant. And uh, I wanted to start there because I feel like that's the real crux of the conversation right now in basketball. The charge debate. Uh, Kyle, man. What, Have you been? What, hold on, Tate. Hold on. I feel like happening? I'm being set up right now. No, I don't want to. I don't want to make declarations. I don't really care. I'm just like. I've took a week off of one shining podcast and all of a sudden now people want to change the rules. Now the charges are dead. Now we got think pieces coming out and I was just gearing up for an exciting NBA playoffs. I wanted to talk about some matchups, maybe talk about Austin Reeves, maybe talk about, you know, De'Aaron Fox, Malik Monk, the little 2017 UK connection going on. And now I am bogged down with this conversation about charges yet again. And I thought college basketball was done. I thought it was a doormat. Why are we still talking about charges? I'm yeah. going crazy. Jay Billis is somewhere cracking his knuckles just on a daily basis. <laughs> he probably has horrible arthritis by now from all the, you know, because right. he's one of the he's one of the diehard the diehard sort of uh, haters of the charge. I don't know. I, well, I felt I felt like maybe you had been spying on my Twitter because I I had it. I had a, uh, like a twenty four hours where um, th- this conversation just drives me nuts because I'm not like I'm not one of the people who's like a, a, an absolute kind of person on, on an extreme person on one end of it being like all charges should go away. Like no, right. like player control fouls. There are there. It's useful in some situations. If you're if you're out beyond the perimeter and you're like guarding someone and like trying to prevent penetration, the big the big thing for me just to. You know, and I, and I made some jokes on Twitter about like, you know, there's this whole idea of just play basketball. Like what's a basketball play? We all kind of mm-hmm. argue over even what that means. And there's sort of a spirit of the law, letter of the law thing that goes on with some of these conversations. And my thing is just, you know, if we want, we're going to have action at the rim. We're going to have these. And I, Giannis and Morant are obviously good. They're going to be high profile examples of why this is, this is a bad thing in the sport. Which is in my why opinion. it's on the forefront of the conversation, right? I mean, that's right. the obvious part. Everyone's like, why haven't we been talking about this more? And it's like, well, cause it involved the best player in the world and probably the most, you know, exciting, I don't know, elect- electric, right. Exciting player in, in the U S right now in John Morant. So obviously that's why people were fired up about this, but go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. Well, I, I think the key distinction that that, it, that people should make here is that, like, when it's happening at the charge circle, players are motivated to, it's different than verticality in that players are motivated to and rewarded to sell contact, which means crumbling the moment that contact is made in an unnatural way, which is not safe. And a lot of times it's players coming in at the very last second. And what you're asking the offensive players to do these are the best athletes in the world. Like I understand getting legal guard guarding position, but like what you're asking these athletes to do is to adjust at the very, very last second laterally when they're in their jumping motion. It's like, okay, yeah, jaw tries to jump over people, but people, you know, if you go vertical and try to contest somebody in that space, 
uh, you're going to absorb the contact. You know, there were a couple clips last night of like Devin Booker, who's not even known as a rim protector. He just went vertical and he absorbed the contact and the offensive player just came back down, straight back down where they were. Whereas if somebody sneaks in at the at the last second, whether they're there first or not, if they crumble like that and you see Anthony Davis, who's one of the best shot blockers in in the world. Um, he's just crumbling like that when a, when a guy who's like 10 inches shorter than him tries to jump, um, you're just setting up these situations where people are going to get hurt. And I, and I think that, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe they move the circle out. Maybe they change the rules for like player control fouls in that zone or only for like primary defenders. I don't know how that would work if you're in a zone defense or something. It just drives me nuts. And I, I made a joke about like, you know, at the park, if you tried to call a charge, you know, mm. obviously, well, my joke was if it, if, if it happens at the park, if, if it would get your, your ass kicked at the park, then, then it's probably not basketball. Obviously, that is like a hyperbolic thing to say. I don't believe that in totality, but I do know that I've been in pickup games where people try to slide in at the last second and take a charge. And the reaction is just like, what are you what doing? What are you doing? Yeah, yeah it's, it's just Every a weird time. play. It, it, it's unsafe. And like you said, when we reward that behavior, that is the issue, and that is why you don't blame Anthony Davis for crumbling or you don't blame Kevin Love for sliding over and, and getting in the way of Giannis because it's a rewarded behavior, which goes back to everyone wants to, you know, point the finger at, at some, you know, monolithic, you know, thing, a person, a group, an entity, right? In the NCAA, it is the NCAA. We point the finger at them. And I think this is one of the examples of I know exactly who to point the finger at. And I think we all know it, but we just don't want to talk about it. It's kind of like the Wizard of Oz. And it's Mr. K, right? This is a man who ushered in an era of flopping Bravo, and drawing Bravo, charges, okay. right? You know what I mean? This is the guy who led a team to three gold medals, right? And he's supposed to be the coach that is, that is on the forefront of what is basketball. But yet he taught how to flop and how to draw charges and how they can game the system to reward you in a basketball game. Yes, it's not necessarily a basketball play, but if you use it to your advantage, you can go ahead and win the game, right? He's gaming the system. And that is, I think, the biggest issue in all of this because it is rewarding a flopping, a a taking a charge, and and kind of just bailing out of the play of the basketball version of the play, right? Which is to go straight up and down, go vertical. Yes, a guy may go over the top of you who's so talented like a John Moran and he may dunk on you, but hey, that's in the spirit of competition. And maybe one out of five times you get a block there. Or maybe if you're Cam Johnson, right? Tonight we just saw this dunks on Joel Embiid. He probably gets that dunk off one out of five times one out of 10 times, but the one time it did, it hit. And shout out to Joel Embiid for going straight up and trying to block it and, and dealing with the comp, you know, the, the repercussions of that decision. And we're not all like, ooh, you're done. Put him on a poster, right. right? This isn't the Brandon Knight, DeAndre Jordan thing, which I felt like almost became what people thought when you did go up and you go straight up and down. And now people want to avoid that. But just in general, it, it does not look safe when you see it live. It, it is not right. And the fact that it gets called in favor of the defender is wrong. And I feel like we can definitely all agree that that's the case. It doesn't need to be that complicated. It doesn't need to be as black and white as get the charge and the block out of the game. Because like you said, what I mean, Doc Rivers said this when they asked him about it. He's like, what, are, what is the game going to be, 225 to 215? Yeah. Right. That, that that That's not what we want either. Right. As as people complain about the scoring and all that sort of stuff with, with the current NBA anyway. 
So there, there is a world in which where there's nuance to the conversation. I just was laughing to myself because it feels like there were a lot of declarations made this weekend during the NBA playoffs about the charge and get rid of the charge and how dumb are we to have the charge in the game? And it's like, it's not really the charge. It's just rewarding this specific play. Yeah. That is by definition dangerous, right? I mean, like you said, it, it's like a YMCA common sense. That's a dangerous play. Don't do that. And if you see someone do that, that's on your team at the Y, you say, hey, Dan, stop doing that. <laughs> like that. That's a dick move. Don't do that. You know, that, yeah. that's pretty much what it is. Yeah, there's some plays that just are not safe. I, I don't I, like I think I maybe told you this story one time. Maybe I didn't. I, I forget who I've told anything on any on a daily basis, honestly. But uh, welcome to podcasting, well, I was right? We don't know who we don't know who we're talking to <laughs> half the time. Yeah, uh, I I was uh, I I play with this pickup group. We used to play outside on Sundays, and uh, we had a guy who came to play with us, and uh, he didn't have a whole lot of experience. Now, this isn't going to happen in the NBA, obviously, but this happens a lot with like guy player players who don't play who kind of don't understand the natural chore- choreography of the sport are more likely i feel like to get people hurt you know because they don't understand um and it, like so he kept doing this thing where like if there he loved to get steals that was his favorite thing to do and he would uh if there was a long pass he would sneak up like he would he would tr- run to the spot where the offensive player was going to catch it and just the moment that they turned around to go towards the basket with the ball, he would just be like right here. And I don't know why he thought this. He was just a daring person to stick his neck in there like that. But I pulled him aside one day and I was like, I was like, hey, man, I was like, I appreciate your your gusto. I appreciate your energy. But I was like, you're going to get really hurt if you don't stop, if you don't like. Uh, so like we had another guy who I later found out had like played pickup in prison because he had been in prison. I didn't ask any questions, but he uh, he came to play with us and uh, he my other buddy pulled that move where he likes he surprised him like he and this guy's reaction was to clear out and he literally split his lip all the way down under his under his nose so he looked like the predator like his upper lip was just flapping (laughs) wide open so i'm just saying that like uh, that's not a helpful example for this but i mean it's just there's some plays that are like what are what are we legislating here like i and i and i know people love it or hate it like the game is going to try to legislate the the marketable aspects of itself. You know, I don't think that they're going to go out of their way to protect this. Maybe they will. Maybe I'm wrong. But like, I don't think that we should be like, well, Giannis and, and John Moran. It's like, well, those are two of the guys who like are marketing the sport on a high level right now. And I, I don't think that's I don't know. I don't I don't. Do you think that do you think Giannis is like bowling people over like Shaq or I feel like Giannis's greatest quality is his lower body flexibility around the basket. That's why he gets so many dunks and layups, I feel like. Yeah, I think that Giannis's most unique and most impressive quality, and I think one of the most underrated skills in all of basketball is balance. And I think Giannis Antetokounmpo is a perfect example of why balance is so important. And he does a great job at being able to guess where you're going to set up to try to draw that charge. And he does a great job of dodging a lot of those situations, which is, you know, as much as we show him bowling over people, we should show more of the clips of him dodging guys that are trying to do the the clutcher balls and fall over charge that we're talking about against him every single time, right? The Raptors built a wall against him to try to make that a thing. And, you know, we've seen the Miami Heat do the same thing, right? That's the way to defend Giannis. So a lot of times it's impressive to me that he anticipates 
what's coming and then is able to deviate in that split second, right? That is one of his most unique skills and he wouldn't be able to do that without his balance. And when he was a young buck, you know, pun intended, that balance, he was almost like a little too gangly to have that balance and he, and he took some spills. And honestly, Joel Embiid, you know, had sort of similar qualities where it was like that balance wasn't quite perfected yet. And I feel like they both have gotten to a point where they know how to to control their body and they know exactly where they're trying to get to a spot. And they have seen enough of these rotations to guess where they're coming from and they know where the spots will be. I mean, it, there's a mastery at play there when it comes to their balance. And that is more of what the focus should be. And I like Mark Cuban was like, yeah, pull the circle out. I've been telling the NBA this forever. Sure. If you want to do that, I think that would be great. And maybe that does help affect things in in some capacity. But at the end of the day, if we're going to protect shooters when they're coming down like we do, and we mm-hmm. harp on that, that's, that's a focus of the officials to, that you point. have a space to land in. Then if you go up as a driver, why don't we protect our drivers? And, and then that also goes back to a larger conversation of, you know, the old heads say, well, we want to see guys get into the basket. Okay, well, let's protect them going to the basket, just like we protect them when they shoot threes. And maybe that makes the game cleaner across the board. And we all wipe our hands clean and say, hey, <laughs> we figured this out, right? I mean, I, I think that's the big thing. Let's let's protect the drivers, especially guys like Giannis and John Moran, who we came to see. We, we paid money to see them. We want them to play. Yeah, it's it's specifically where it's happening because, you know, you think yeah. about where that charge circle is. I mean, that's typically the space that is about the spot where an NBA player is going to leave the ground. They're going to go from that forward momentum motion to I am like planning my my legs and powering up through my quads to jump, which is a moment where you can't move laterally. And so you're just in a tough position and you just watch. I don't know. Morant's hard to Morant's just. The best players are often hard to officiate. I don't think that that's a cop out reason to just stop thinking about it. You know, like I like LeBron, very hard to officiate. Uh, the the guys are smart; they know how to get to their spots. And I think the thing that you said about Embiid is very true, man. And I don't know if he ever, I don't, I don't know if he he gets a lot of credit. I know there's been a lot of sort of uh, back and forth about who gets enough credit in the, in, <laughs> yeah. among We're these guys. We're all fighting for credit, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But he, man, his ability, his balance. I'm glad you said that because like. Uh, his ability to decelerate in traffic and change directions, I don't know that that gets communicated to people who maybe don't watch a ton of basketball. I feel like people who watch are, are aware, but like his ability to do that at his size, um, it is really, really, really special and remarkable. Like uh, he'll 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 just like stop like he's like rolling a bowling ball, like and kind of drag his toe. I was talking to somebody about this the other day and. Uh, and then change directions, and like uh, he just does some amazing stuff with that balance. Yes, I mean he and Giannis both at their size, it is ridiculous, and that's why when you know we have these conversations, and and the younger guys are like, look at the skill of the guys currently in the NBA. Of course, I mean look at these guys, look look what they're doing at that size. That is, I mean th- that was something that was not really fathomed at a certain time, unless you were Wilt Chamberlain or Lou Alcindor, right? You had to be like a supreme supreme type guy, which is why. We're watching very, very supreme talented players at the highest level. Um, all right, so enough about the charge debate. We got that over with. That that was, I think, that was a good conversation. I felt like we had to hit it because I see it everywhere. And I appreciated and I was, that you found a way to blame it on Kay. That was masterfully done. And you. I should have seen that coming. I should have yeah. known that that's where you were going. But I just wanted to, to you know, tip my cap to you for that. That masterclass. I think if you really think about it, and you can go watch Coach K's masterclass where he talks about how he lost to Carolina twice. Um, go go get that. I think it's nine ninety nine a month right now. It's on discount. But um, 
Mr. K, he's the one. He's the one. It all goes back to him. I never saw basketball officiated in that manner until Duke started doing it. Do you? Th- if I gave you the challenge, Tate, in like a minute's time, do you? Th- do you think that? You- How strongly do you feel that you could blame poverty on mm. on Mike Shashevsky? Do you think you could do it? Are you up to that task? Yeah, we I mean, he, just went do- to, he went to army. Um, you know, we we were that was part of the military. We we're supposed to go help people. What's he doing? You know what I mean? So there, I I'll connect the dots. That, that okay. my whole job is to connect the dots. Um, and again, it's nothing personal. It's the caricature of Coach K. It's not the person. I'm sure, he's a great man. I, I know he's a great grandfather. Um, you know, uh, he won the Dean Smith Award this year, so I know he must have some good in him, uh, Kyle. Man, but again, the caricature. He definitely probably did do that. Um, I I can confirm nor deny. Um, let's talk about two guys that are near and dear to your heart because we're, you know, we're in blue blood conversation right now. Um, these guys, honestly, they, they've won me over as Kentucky players because they participated in two of the best Carolina Kentucky games ever. Malik Monk had 47 points in the first one in the CBS classic in December in Las Vegas, most points scored by individual against North Carolina in history broke Tyrese Rice's record of 46 points. One of the most insane performances I've ever seen. And then, of course, we remember the Elite Eight game. You don't want to talk about that. I don't want to harp on it. I'm going to rest on my laurels there. I'm okay with it. It was a game where you knew you were playing a very talented team. Bam Adebayo, Malik Monk, De'Aaron Fox, but specifically that backcourt, them being back together. They win game one in Sacramento. It was a lot of fun for me to watch, and I'm not a Kentucky guy. How much fun was it for you, Kyle, man? Because they had a great time. De'Aaron Fox had a great game, and it was a great moment for basketball, I felt like. Yeah, like 70 points on like, God, I mean, Malik Monk was uh, almost 62% from the field and Fox was, uh, let's see. And they were competing, by the way. Like, this was like a fun game. And De'Aaron Fox, I'll be honest with you, he rubbed me the wrong way. He made those comments about college basketball. He never watches a college basketball game. But then he was tweeting during March Madness. So I was like, he just did that for clicks. I get it. We live in a content (laughs) business. We understand the aggregators. So I let him slide. And then this performance, he he got me right back because look, I know everyone loves Halliburton, but I always knew that there was a lead guard on this team, and his name was De'Aaron Fox, and he was the guy. He had the keys, and they got him a big that he needed in Sabonis, and it was fun to watch them flourish, especially Fox. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I they're they're like the coolest. I think they're the coolest duo that's been at UK. I mean, in the past, I mean, they're, they're in the running for cool. They they just had a, a big cultural impact on college basketball and basketball at large. I feel like people they were just really fun. Um, but I mean this this group you brought up. I mean, you brought up some traumatic memories for me. I, I mean, didn't want to that... bring it up. I didn't want to bring it up. I'm just telling you, I liked that 2017 team. I really did. I liked them a lot. You know, they they had a special place in my heart, and it's not because of the shot by Luke May. It really isn't. <sighs> I really liked that team, and I respected that team. You all hit that freaking high bounce floater that hit the back. That Theo Pinson freaking floater that hit mm. the back rim and went a thousand feet in the air, and that went and then went in. And I remember I was sitting on the on the couch with one of my my good friends and my father in law. And uh, we had been doing like high, uh, like game. We do push ups during big games. Well, like during commercial breaks to sort of, you know, it's just a <laughs> yeah, sort of a way to like get it, Yeah. Yeah. Bring the energy level down and get us calm. But uh, when that, when that Theo Pinson floater hit the back rim and went in, I'd said, you know, I said to, to my friend and my father in law, I was like, unfortunately, I think that's game. <laughs> we didn't know each other yet, Tate, when that happened, but I just felt it in the, in the ether. But, I, I got mad at that team a lot. I used to get mad at them because they would just mess around and it just seemed, you know, they lost a lot of their big games that year against non-con. And then, 
in that game, they just kind of played crappy and then they made that run at the end. And I was just, I was upset with them. I was like, don't do this now. I was like, don't make me believe now. I refused. I was so hurt. And then Monk hit that three. He got fouled on that three, by the way. Let the record mm. show that. And then you guys, and we get all excited and, you know, May comes down and hits that shot. I thought we, uh, also thought we got it. We got jobbed in that game. But anyway, yeah, the Kings, yeah, what, the Kings. What's the official, every Kentucky fan tweets at me, they're like, John Higgins. I'm like, I, I'm like, classic Kentucky fans. They know the exact three officials. They know what games they ref that year. It's amazing. Well, to quote uh, <laughs> my guy, Nikias Duncan, we have tape. There is tape out there. All right. So what, and we, we have the tape. It. We saw what happened. You can either live with it or not. No, I mean, you get lucky. You get breaks either way. These mm. these are the dims the breaks. Tate, <laughs> um, you know this is no crying on the yacht, as Galax to say. But yeah, I mean, uh, like Fo- Fox and, and Monk specifically, I think we kind of forgot that these are big game players because they hadn't been in big games like since then, since 2017. And it's crazy that like, I mean, Fox went nuts on Lonzo in the tournament back in 2017. People forget about that, and um, yeah, they're just obviously guys who don't shrink from the moment. They're 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 clutch. Yeah, there. I mean, that Memphis regional was uh, amazing. I mean, it was the Lonzo Ball UCLA team, Kentucky, Carolina, and Butler, and all four of those teams were really good that year. And like you said, the Lonzo De'Aaron Fox game that was kind of the De'Aaron Fox owns Lonzo Ball was the conversation going into the draft. And then, like you said, because he was in Sacramento, we almost you know Fox kind of just lost real estate amongst the mind of basketball fans. I felt like, which was unfair to him because he was still playing good basketball. Then they bring in another off guard who's now on ball. Now he's sharing responsibilities, obviously with Halliburton. And then that kind of devalued him a little bit because then the conversation was, well, they, did they bring Halliburton in because they didn't think De'Aaron Fox was that guy, right? And then you watch him in this playoff game. His size defensively, he's hounding defensively. He he's a problem. He's a matchup problem defensively for the for the you know the Golden State Warriors with their vaunted backcourt, right? And you say to yourself, "Well, this has been right in our face." And you know, as a Charlotte Hornet fan, you know I remember Donovan Mitchell telling the story of he was promised to be the eleventh pick. He talked to Michael Jordan. It was a sure thing. Donovan Mitchell was going to go be a Charlotte Hornet. He was going to sign with Jordan Brand. It was going to be great. But Jordan, just like me as a Carolina fan, Malik Monk slips. And you say to yourself, I watched this guy hit these amazing huge shots in March Madness. I watched this guy drop 47 points on North Carolina, a national title team, and I just can't get enough Monk. He's got so much firepower. You have to believe in this guy. Obviously, we know Charlotte was not a great setup for him. He had problems with the coaches, playing time. But then it just felt like when I was watching game one, it was like the Monk and De'Aaron Fox that somehow had gotten lost in the shuffle it felt like they were back, like their souls were back in their body. To put it in Space Jam terms, like, you know, the Monstars gave them their their abilities back, and it was back on a big stage, like you said. And I don't know, it was just fun again, and it made me happy, and it was nice that they're with a team in Sacramento that deserves love, right? I mean, Sacramento, my God, if you're a diehard Kings fan, well, you've been going through the ringer, pun intended, I mean, since 2002, and you've just been waiting, and and every single time you thought it was, it wasn't. And now you have these two guards who are competing at the highest level, and they have such heart, and they're so fun to pull for. And Sabonis didn't even have a good game. He still had a double-double, but he was kind of to the side. of the, he, was, he was auxiliary to, to what was happening out there for this team. And that was what was even more encouraging for the Kings to me. And I know that game is later tonight. We're recording this Monday night, but 
I don't know. I, I just fell back in love with Fox and I fell back in love with Monk. And I know you're a Kentucky guy. So I just wanted to say, you know, congratulations. It's, it's fun when you see guys that are new age kind of come of age on a big scene. Yeah, it was good, good to see them get the chance. And, you know, uh, th- one of the things, if, I mean, they couldn't stay in front of, front of Fox, which was not, which was amazing to watch. But they also, um, they they also couldn't keep Malik out of the lane. And that was the thing that he really needed to grow when he was coming out of school and in his early years in the league was uh, the, the thing that made him dominant. Uh, the, the, the thing that was helping him be so effective during that game was just the fact that they they couldn't stop him from getting to the basket. And it was really awesome to see him physically drive the way that he was because so much of what he was doing was sort of like tough shot making, you know, a lot of, a lot of dribbling, a lot of dribble shooting and things like that. And, uh, you know, in this game, I pulled it up here. Yeah. Fox had 11 isolations just in this game alone. And it was almost at 1.1 points per possession. So pretty, pretty solid if you're, if you're going to the basket, but overall, I just think, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. It seems like the warriors throughout that game were kind of starting to rely on, on just that the opposite of what the Kings were doing, which was getting to the basket. Like they were really relying on the tough shot making, and I actually was kind of encouraged by the way that Looney played Sabonis. I think that that's an interesting wrinkle of this. And that if uh, if they can continue, because the Warriors, like their offense at the rim just kind of evaporated in the second half of that game. I don't know if you remember. Like, it was just kind of either Steph or Clay hit a tough shot or nothing, pretty much. That's what it seemed like. And you know why? I mean, at least in my opinion, I, I felt like this was wise because Mike Woodson was telling Monk and Fox to push the pace, right? Yeah. He's like, these guys got a lot of miles on them. Let, and I know they do because I just coached them all the way to the finals last year. And I just saw all the miles and how they wear on them. Let's push the pace. Let's make these guys, you know, tired so that getting to the basket doesn't sound as fun. Right. I don't want to drive to the basket and, and go that extra 30 feet when I can just take a step back three here and then catch my breath and get ready to guard Monk. And also, I got to give Fox credit. He did a great job just hunting Jordan Poole. Right. I mean, he was he was trying to find Jordan Poole in every possession and they were trying to get that matchup. But he got it a lot of times. Um, which I, I thought was another fascinating part of this because we talk about Jordan Poole being able to be that Curry offense when he's not out there. But if he's a liability on defense, which I don't think Curry really has ever been that high of a liability. I've always thought that was a little overrated. But Jordan Poole was a liability at times in that game. And he was getting hunted and Fox was doing the hunting. And that was that was fascinating to me as well because, you know, this is a guy you paid a lot of money and supposed to be the future and supposed to be the next Curry and you know, I just I find it that series is just a lot of fun, right? Oh, like yeah. you said, Looney, Sabonis, right there, Wiggins with a nice spark. I'm like, this guy looks like he's been playing the whole time, right? He looked like Wiggins to me. He looked normal. Right. I mean, he was getting. I mean, that last three that he took, he probably should have driven that ball or driven and kicked it. I mean, it was a it was a tough one there at the end, but yeah, he he looked he looked normal to me. Right, and a lot of people are saying that was you know the game of the playoffs so far. I'll give them that, but. The performance so far for me, and we got to talk about these two guys because there's two stars of the Lakers, and obviously we know who they are, and that's Rui Hachimura and Austin Reeves. Um, and, you know, role players, they don't show up on the road. Star players do. And we saw two stars in Memphis in game one. Uh, Hachimura had the most points he's ever had as a Laker in his first playoff appearance as a Laker. Make that make sense. Um, but he was great in this game. Uh, Austin Reeves, I think I, I have to say this, Kyle, man, this is probably the hottest take. Maybe this I should save this for the hottest take. I think Austin Reeves is the American American Luka Doncic. I think he's our American Luka. <laughs> I really do. I, I think he's all we got. I think he's all we got. And uh, he's he's a point forward. He's a point God. 
Um, he's hitting big shots. And in this game, LeBron James said he saw it from day one, Kyle, man. Oh, of course he did. Of course he did. <laughs> LeBron. What do we think? How do we feel about, uh, how do we feel about the brawny fast 10 commercials? How do you feel about those Tate? Are you, oh, are you loving them or are you, do you feel like that's effective marketing for that movie? Family? I, I cannot believe one that that is like real. Like you said, you sent that to our little group text. And I was like, I, I was like, did Kyle get onion headlined? Like, is this, there's no way this is a real thing. Um, oh, so you then, hadn't seen it yet? I hadn't seen it yet. No. Oh, and, then okay. I, and then I went and watched it and uh, my mouth was just, my, my jaw just dropped. Um, I mean, it, it, we saw the, at the Nike hoop summit, the NIL valuation, 7.2 million. I don't know how much he got from fast 10, but, uh, I mean, Bronny's out there. I mean, that, that's, we're, that's we're really taking it slow. You know, LeBron taught us that he, he was telling us he knows to take it slow with, you know, I just I don't know. It seems like Bronny. I haven't gotten any indication that he can't take the pressure. But I every the more the more kind of like NIL pressure that he gets <laughs> on him before he's played higher level basketball. I just kind of like I just kind of tense up a little. I don't know. It, it worries me. I don't know. But that it, that was cracking me up. That commercial because he's just dribbling. Then you got Vin Diesel being like family, you know. And I was just like, what? It, what is this? What, who conceived of this? It's crazy because like we're watching a Lakers playoff game, right? And Ja Morant's in the game until he wasn't, obviously. But like there's stars on the court, and then you go to the commercials, and usually you know how it works. Like Anthony Davis is in a Ruffles commercial because we're watching the freaking playoffs. But it's like no, it's LeBron James's son. In in a preview of the new Fast and the Furious movie, you know, it's like it's not even a Laker. And, and that, that was like the funniest thing. I had an NBA scout tell me, you know, the biggest ticket in L.A. is the Sierra Canyon games this year, not the Lakers games. And it's like that's that's if also Bronny like a place. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. If Bronny play, like that's the other fascinating like wrinkle in all this, too, where it's like the the the, the prospects are almost more valued than the actual stars in actuality, right? Like the 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 prospect of what could be is better than what is in reality. And that's just the world that we live in. And Bronny, like you said, it's unfortunate. I, I hope that he can handle it because it is a lot to put on him. It's like you're the face of a franchise and it happens to be a very successful franchise. One is the NBA and the other one's Fast and the Furious. Like, good luck, buddy. <laughs> yeah, it's... Yeah, man, it's uh, in the commercials thing. I know like uh, what's cracked me up about like, uh, you know, there was a, there was a huge outcry over Dr. Pimple Popper, which was really cracking me up because I didn't see it initially. I was just re- yeah. I was checking Twitter's response to that. But the Evil Dead commercials, too, man, I just want to comment really quickly. Like it is odd to put. I don't know. It is odd to go from, you know, we're watching Russell Westbrook. Not that not that that, you know, Russ, Russ kind of had he created a not super family friendly uh, atmosphere, as we saw from the clip, which we could talk about that if you want. But it is just weird to have a commercial that comes in strong, that comes in hot and says mommy's with the maggots. I can't think of any movie trailer that's been on TV that says mommy's with the maggots. What the hell is that, man? It's right. like it's a little much. It's a little much. It's it's a lot. Um, and, you know, to get back to just the Lakers, I mean, Austin Reeves and Rui Hachimura won game one, which I think is even more shot. Like, I don't know what broke my brain more. Bronny James in the fast in commercial or watching Austin Reeves literally become a superstar before my very eyes. But either way, the Grizzlies, I, I am hitting the panic button on the Grizzlies. I am concerned. You're down Steven Adams. You're down Brandon Clark. John Moran says his injury is a 10. Um, and you know, I'm not a good sick person, Kyle, man. Like when I'm sick, even if I, you know, have felt worse, like if you ask me, I'm a 10, you know, like when I tore my meniscus, they're like, what's the injury level? I'm like 10. 
I just go ahead and go 10. You know what I mean? I don't know. I'm like, if anything, I would just go to 11 if I have to. I feel like that was the John Moran answer. He had, uh, he, de- he de facto went 10. So I hope he's not that injured and I hope we see him again in the series. But it does feel like the Lakers, it, it was, you know, it, we kept seeing like everyone's like the Lakers, the Lakers, the Lakers, but it feels like it's inevitable now. And AD playing defense like he is, it's just right there for the Lakers to take this series, right? Yeah, well, people keep saying there's a path. I mean, yeah, there's always a path. I mean, you have a path. It's just <laughs> right. like, um, but I mean, some things are going on with, um, some things are going on in this series and in in the Warriors series where you you have to kind of like decide whether or not to, ch- where to place your bets on what's going to continue to happen. And, you know, if I'm looking at this and I'm seeing that Rui Hachimura had 29 points on 11 of 14 shooting, you know, <laughs> almost 80% from the field, didn't turn the ball over. Um, I'm probably going to make a bet that that won't happen again in exactly the same way, kind of in a similar way that, you know, Fox is like a career. I mean, I don't know what the exact number is, but I feel like it's either 30 or close to it from three, maybe a little higher, but, um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to make the bet that that won't continue again. But I mean, uh, the Reeves Reeves at the, as the American Luca is pretty entertaining. I I just think like, I think a solid thing for the Lakers. And I kind of believe this in, in my like greater kind of basketball philosophy is that if you can get guys that have been point guards in the past on the floor, on your team in different roles, we see that with Kyle Anderson, we've seen it with Jalen, J dub as we've kind of have come to call him for, for OKC, <laughs> uh, although they're knocked out. I mean, if you can get these guys who have point guard experience in the past, even AD a little bit, you know, yeah, those are valuable guys to have. Uh, so Reeves and Reeves is, is showing that, you know, and, and Reeves like, and I think that's why, you know, I, I make the Luca comp just because of the way that he reads off the pick and roll. Right. I mean, he knows like if you're in drop coverage, okay, great. I have a show. You know, it's like, he's basically reading it live and then making a decision. And then we all go amazing. Right. But, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, if you do it enough times, it's like, there's a repetition. Like Chris Paul, I mean, it's amazing at reading uh, what you need to do. So, that's why Reeves gives me the Doncic stuff. But speaking of point guards, uh, speaking of Chris Paul, a guy who was a foil in game one, who, you know, has kind of become almost like we're disrespecting the reality of, the, of Russ's talent, which especially on the defensive end, Russ can be a menace when he is locked in and engaged. And he obviously is in this series, as we saw in game one. But Russell Westbrook, I mean, this was I saw people saying this is the full Russell Westbrook experience. I thought it was like the most endearing Russell Westbrook performance ever. And also an example of like, you have to live by the letter of the law, which is if you are open, you have to take the shot and you live with the results and you keep playing the game. Regardless, you don't hang your head. He kept bricking everything, right? But he kept playing defense even harder. He kept getting offensive rebounds. He kept creating, creating extra possessions. Like as I was watching the game, I'm like, Russell Westbrook's the most valuable player on the court right now. And then you look at his stats and it's like he's three for up to three to three for 15 now from the field. And yeah. it was uh, it was an experience. But I, I wanted to get your your opinion on it because I thought he did a great job against Kevin Durant, especially trailing like KD. He would fight over the screen and then he had a lot of like he was getting deflected from behind a lot because he never gave up on the play. And I thought that was the real story in this game. 
Yeah, I mean, you, you got the best and the worst of him. Like you said, yeah, three for 19 from the field. Three for 19, uh, eight, there you go. Oh yeah, my eight, God. yeah, that's a pretty, it's amazing to, to, to the fortitude to just continue, you know, and which which has been sort of a theme of his career. Like he has all this, I just feel like Russ at all times when he's being himself is just like climbing a mountain with like a pickaxe and <laughs> the wind is harshly blowing in his face and everyone's like, turn back. Don't yeah, be yourself, the Russ. Yeah, right, get the tip. <laughs> Not worth it. <laughs> Make camp. <laughs> <laughs> make camp choose a different path and russ is like nah i'm not doing that um, he's like why not <laughs> <laughs> has, have you seen my have you seen my salary it hasn't failed me yet uh, which to his credit you know is the proof the proof is in the pudding but i mean he had eight assists only two turnovers in that game and he was disruptive you know two steals three blocks um you're seeing the thing that that is the most palatable about him if he's going to play that way. You know, if he were if he were just going to be ball dominant and if he were just going to be, you know, taking those inefficient shots and not giving you this other stuff. And uh, credit to Ty Lue. Ty Lue is a mastermind, man. He's a great coach and he's he's figured out a way to. And this is a veteran heavy team. I don't know. Maybe Russ is feeling more comfortable in this environment. Um I just feel like in basketball, a lot of times you can have great ideas, but if you have the wrong communicator, you know, a lot of people, I always say this, a lot of people have great ideas, but they, are, they might be a terrible communicator. Right. Um, I, I just think like for right coaching message, staff, wrong messenger, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I think sometimes some of the, it can be a pitfall too. I mean, teams can kind of look at some of these players who are distressed assets and be, and have the hubris to say like, uh, you can do the, you know, the rest of development meme, the may, it, maybe it, it might work for us thing, but it, that happens all the time. And for Russ, it's happened over and over and over again. But you're right. It is. It's ref- refreshing. I figured this would come back, man. I mean, we were all so hard on him. I just I, I feel America loves a good redemption story, um, even though, you know, he was kind of getting into it with some some Phoenix families going. Was that at halftime that that happened? When did that yeah. happen during that game? Apparently, uh, the the like luxury little bar area is in between. Like so that, you know, let's say you pay a lot of money for these VIP tickets. You get to see the team as they come back through the tunnel. And a guy was sitting there in his little couch area. This is all just video that ended up getting surfaced on Twitter. But he, he apparently called Russell Westbrook Westbrook. Um, you know, and Westbrook, you know, obviously took umbrage to that comment as he has multiple times over, um, you know, and then they had a little spat, a little back and forth. Russell Westbrook was like, say it with your chest, basically, like, if you really want to do something, do something. Um, but it led him to a great second half. I mean, if anything, if I'm Russell Westbrook, I'm like, put that fan back in that seat. Yeah. And tell him to call me Westbrook, Westbrook again, and I'll see you guys after game two. Because, I mean, he was great in the second half. And, I, I mean, the obviously the play we all point to is the Devin, but him guarding Devin Booker at the end. But he did a great job on Booker for quite, like, since like about midway through the third quarter, Ty Lue switched him on Booker. I thought it was a great decision. He has great size against Booker. Booker doesn't have a first step on him. And weirdly, I mean, there's like, it seems like it's almost like a big brother, little brother type relationship there a little bit where, you know, Russell Westbrook is like of a class above him. You know what I mean? It's like the welcome to varsity, buddy. Like you're going to, you're going to have to deal with this. And uh, the physicality of Russ, Russ is tough. Um, So yeah, I really like that matchup defensively. But like you said, as long as he's not a liability on the offensive end, you can really lean into that defensive side. So Westbrook, shout out to him. Glad he didn't get in a fight. Glad he kept his cool. Uh, kudos to him. Apparently that fan got banned. Uh, so I guess that Look, he won't be coming back. 
Yeah, yeah, that's curious. And, you know, there's nothing more American than like purchasing the right to sit close to, to athletes and scream at them, you know, demeaning things. Right. That's that's what that's our that's our, our right as Americans. And right. uh, <laughs> they're like, look at how much I paid for this ticket. I can say whatever I want. And everyone's yeah. like, that's not what's it. That is not a part of the deal. Where do you see that in the contract? That is <laughs> not, not a in the fine contract that, that has not been made. Well, yeah. And then, too, man, I mean, I'm just I'm always amazed by these people who do these things. I'm assuming from the clip that that it looked like there was a, a kid there that witnessed that too. Like, it, mm. I don't know if it was somebody's son or who it was. But yeah. He was, he I'm, was just eating ham. He was just like eating ham, having a good time. <laughs> yeah. I did. I, I just, I'm always fascinated by these people who are, who are willing to have these types of interactions in front of their kids. I'm, Cause I don't know, as somebody who has a little kid myself, I've definitely become hyper-conscious of my like, things I complain about that are like confrontational. I'm like, no, you know, if I continued to talk about this stuff in a, in a way that like makes it seem like I'm all about this, you know, it's going to, it's going to imprint on him that, Hey, this is the way you're supposed to be. Anyway, I love a lot of par parental criticism today. I'm not trying to harp on that, but uh, I just found that fascinating. I, I think it's a great point, And it also shows like a character flaw right there. You don't do that in front of kids. You know what I mean? Cause like you said, there, there there's an impressionable, impressionable asset, you know, or aspect of it all that like, you know, Nature versus nurture. You don't want to nurture him a type of way where this kid's growing up and he's just yelling West Brick every single you know place that he goes and 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 you know future Westbrook he's yelling at. We don't want that. We don't want that in the future. So turn that off. Uh, all right. Enough about the NBA playoffs. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Quickly, before we get out of here, I want to touch on the transfer portal. We're going to do more. I mean, as this all is playing out, there's a lot of moving parts, obviously, in the transfer portal. Um, but there, there's some big characters. Uh, one person I want to talk to you about, Hunter Dickinson. Have you seen? He's everywhere. It's like where it's like where's Waldo of college basketball? Every day he's at a different lunch at a different school. Everyone's saying Kansas, but he, you know, he's obviously from the DMV. He's been to Georgetown. He's been to Maryland. I'm sure Kentucky's reached out to him. I don't know if Carolina has, but Armando Baycott says he has. But everyone's going after Hunter Dickinson. Um, how much are you keeping up with this? And how much have you seen Hunter Dickinson uh, in the ether? And how much do we care? Because, like, no offense, I, I'm not sure Hunter Dickinson's going to, like, I mean, maybe for a Kansas or someone like that that has, you know, some talent around him. But, I mean, th this is wild. He he is, like, the big man on campus, pun intended. <laughs> yeah, I'm all for people like enjoying being courted, you know, like recruits going into, sc into school. I'm like, how many how many official visits do you get? Use them all. Go get wined and dine. Go get courted. Enjoy. Enjoy the ride. Enjoy the being the bell of the ball there for a minute. Um, uh, But I mean, this is a guy who's a pretty honestly, I mean, I wouldn't downplay it. I mean, I, I think he's a pretty 
I don't think I know. I mean, he's he's a, uh, an a accomplished, experienced college player. I mean, he's averaged. He started basically almost every college game other than like five his freshman year. Uh, I mean, he's been a double figure scorer this past year, 18 and, you know, 18.5 with nine rebounds and 58 uh, percent from from two. He's. He's a guy who can post, he can pass it a little bit. I think, you know, I think the stretch game is is a work in progress, even though he's like over 40% from three. Kentucky has talked to him from what I've heard. Um, there's been some scuttlebutt that he is waiting to see what happens with Oscar. Um, I personally would trade Oscar for Hunter Dickinson tomorrow. I, I would be I, totally I think fine that might that. be an upgrade, honestly. Like as much as I was talking about, I mean, Dickinson goes to a Kentucky or a Kansas I mean, you're, you're that's that's what he should be looking for, in my opinion. Go to a blue blood, have some infrastructure around you, and you might win a title. Yeah, it, it, he seems like a funny guy too. I mean, like from what I can tell, I mean, he's got he a has little a podcast, he, right? He's having fun. Yeah, he's got a little sassiness to him. I think that's 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 nice. But um, I heard some people kind of complain or just kind of wondering about the fit, and I'm I'm always just like, you know, not to do the like left handed guy that uh, it, not to do the whole like aesthetic bias thing, but like. I mean, I think he could be like a, a solid guy, like in a modern offense, like like being like a dribble handoff type guy because he's huge. He can score with his back to the basket. He's a decent passer. Um, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't begrudge schools for wanting him at all. I think he's he's considered one of the. I think he's considered by most services to be the top guy in the portal. Yeah. Um, and for good reason. Like I, I think he's a good player. I think he could really help somebody potentially contend next year. And I think he could handle double teams better than Oscar as far as passing and oh, finding guys that are open. So I that's think a low that, bar, Tate. Well, that's a low I was going to say, well, that, that that to me would be the intriguing part of Dickinson with UK because he's going to get double teamed because he's that good. And then I think he can find guys, and you got four guys around him that are all blue chippers, right? That that's fascinating. That's intriguing. That makes sense. Uh, one other team I want to talk about quickly before we get out of here: Arkansas. Uh, apparently, must buzz. He made 84 contacts. He reached out to 84 different players in the transfer portal, um, which, uh, according to ESPN Stats and Info, the most by any team. I didn't even know they had uh, Stats and Info on that. They track that? (laughs) I don't think so, but apparently, I guess they do now. Um, But it seems like every day, Arkansas is getting another commit. They now have four guards that are committed, so they're too deep in the backcourt. Um, plus like Devo Davis could be, I mean, they, they might end up having six guards on this team. It's given me very much like sec baseball vibes. This is what they used to do with like a bunch of my friends that were baseball prospects. Like you get into to USC, South Carolina, you go there, there's like 30 guys that are there. There's only 15 spots and they cut you and then they move on. It, it feels like Arkansas is doing that in the transfer portal where like everyone's going to commit to Arkansas and then uh, they're going to figure it out on the back end. But how much are you witnessing this as you're in sec country? Well, it seems like the must bus is it, we've confirmed that it's a double decker. Like, yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot, a lot of spots. Of yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of spots on the must bus. Um, I just, they're casting a wide net. I mean, it's, it, you know, you thought kind of in this train, it's, it's kind of the opposite phenomenon, but I guess if, of what we thought was going to happen, where we thought some of these basketball schools were going to maybe not be, you weren't going to have these droves of players, but it depends on who you're pulling from. If you're pulling from players who are coming in with the expectation of, I just want to get high major experience. I just want to get power five experience in a team that's in a good conference. They're not coming in with the expectation of like, I have to start and like must typically throws waves of guys at you specifically he loves to have a lot of guards don't begrudge him of that at all you know no problem with having a lot of ball handlers but i've been like really i've been really surprised by the shakeup from 
you know, like Naheem Aline transferring from Connecticut, he committed to St. John's, you know, going to play for Rick Pitino, who could, who could fault anybody for that, right? So I, I think we got to make sure that we give Pitino credit on that front, even from a national champion. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, that was one that's like raise your eyebrows, right? I mean, I remember last year Tyrese Hunter leaving Iowa State to go to Texas, you know, in conference. He was Big 12 freshman of the year, and you're like, wow, this is a – this is a new world, right? This is why Dickie V's getting on Twitter and doing like rants for two minutes about the transfer portal ruining college basketball. Like that's that's the old guard can't like their brains cannot comprehend that. They're like, this guy just won a national championship. His role is going to expand with UConn and he transfers to go <laughs> have his role expand for Rick Pitino, who's a first year head coach at, at St. John's. And also, when did Rick Pitino talk to him? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a good like that, question. That's the that other a- part, right? Like that goes back to the tampering of all this. And that's why the transfer portal, I mean, Greg McDermott, Creighton coach tweeted, he was like, the transfer portal works both ways. Like he, he basically was like, I expect my guys uh, to get tampered with and we will tamper as well. Um, which I, I, you know, he basically was like hammer Robbie. He's like an eye for an eye, um, which I, um, I have to respect, like in the, in this new age of transfer portal, you have to say, I guess that's the, the way to play this game, but it is fascinating. And like, it has it become like, uh, it's almost bigger than high school recruitment, you know? And I feel bad for these high school recruits because that process of being courted is now being spared and the expenses are being made for the college guys, which is good for mid-major guys. It's cool for them because they didn't get that the first time around. But it's like now in high school, you're just like, oh, I'm just, I'm lucky if they try to give me, you know, some sort of big visit because the, meanwhile, they're taking Hunter Dickinson to his 15th lunch. You know, I mean, how, how am I going to get any of the resources? It's kind of crazy. That's a good point. I, this is this is honestly, I can say with full confidence, the first Ringer podcast I've ever been on that Hammurabi has ever been referenced. So I really appreciate <laughs> you doing that. And I think that it's a, it's a thing, too, of guys like I do think that this has been a long like a long view, like a long game trickle down thing from. From the decision, I do think that like player empowerment, player movement has been a thing that has sort of trickled down the line in the past over the past decade. You know, and I think it's it's we've already seen it in high school. People kind of just stop caring about that at some point. Really, the only people who get riled up about people moving from high school or high school or to people who are in the district, they didn't grow up there. This ain't fair, you know, that kind of stuff. And whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I know where his daddy works. He don't work in Georgetown. Um, So I just think that was a Kentucky reference. Shout out there. That was um, good. That was good. But, um, no, but it also has created a thing, too, where, you know, players are getting their value. Obviously, there's some sliminess, I'm sure, in any in, in some situations. But guys that are in, in, you know, lower major programs who develop, like we always talk about, like development never stops. These guys get developed. They get evaluated coming out of high school, like you said. Maybe they don't get their flowers. Like a guy, like an exa- a Kentucky example, Antonio Reeves came out of high school, wasn't a high major level player. He develops. He becomes one. It's good for him to move to this bigger stage and and be on a more marketable platform, playing against better competition more frequently. You're not going to play the same schedule at like an Illinois State that you're going to play at a Kentucky. So overall, I do think that it's a net positive. But the flip side of it is that it does create this sort of developmental system thing where like the low majors are kind of, you know, we'll see good players pop up at some of these smaller schools like a Raekwon battles showing up, you know, in, in the, in the summit league or where, where whatever league it was. But, um, 
overall, I do think that there are some positives and it was inevitable. That's kind of my takeaway from it. It, it yeah. was inevitable. It was coming. There was no way to stop it. There was no way to stop it. And now, I mean, weirdly enough, there is, you know, this fun, different new world of college basketball where Max Aismas, right, is now going to Texas. And we're going to watch Oral Roberts' own Max Aismas, who we watched beat Ohio State, uh, you know, as a 15 seed in 2021, now is going to be a star at Texas, right? That That is, you know, they, these are the fascinating wrinkles. And then, like, you know, you, you saw Pajimski, right? Or, you know, Brandon Pajimski, who was at Illinois, went to Santa Clara and was a star at Santa Clara in the WCC, but wasn't at Illinois, right? So there, it, it, it works both ways. Yeah, um, yeah. But but it just, it, it'll, it'll be fascinating. It's hard, I think, for the old guard to just wrap their head around the, the, the moving, you know, of these players. But it's going to happen. Get over it. We're going to see it. We're going to deal with it. And my my train of thought is like, just wake me up when it's over, right? Just let me know when the rosters are set. Then I'll look at the rosters and uh, I'll see how many players Arkansas has and then I'll go from there. And, and that'll be my big takeaway on the transfer portal. Um, Kyle, man, this has been fun, man. Anything else before we get out of here? Uh, I didn't know if you, we, I don't guess we have time, but, uh, you, you were going to kind of give me your quick thoughts on air. Did you, did you want to weigh in oh, on that really quickly? If quickly. We have time? That, that's right. We do have some time. And, uh, I mean, first and foremost, air, it was a great movie. I mean, you know, I went into it with high expectations. I'm a Michael Jordan guy. Um, I was very intrigued by the whole premise because just for the background of it, I mean, Sonny Vaccaro, you know, Sonny, he has said on record, Phil Knight is a liar. Michael Jordan is a liar. And, uh, you know, and, and the, the reason why he said that is because they both claimed that he was not the one that made this Jordan Nike thing happen. Um, but, you know, I, that's why I find this air story so fascinating, because obviously Jordan, even though they didn't show his face, you know, they had his name, they had his image and they had his or I guess they didn't have his image. They had his likeness. They had an N and an L, not the I. Uh, in this movie, they never show his actual image, really. Um, or I guess the the clips in the past, but like you know, they they don't really focus in on Jordan. It's obviously about the family, but Sonny is the star of the movie, um, which I found fascinating. And just the a story of me, I had to deal with Sonny when I was doing this five star project because you know he did the Dapper Dan event, which is basically the All Star game that led into the McDonald's All American game in 1977. He was the first one to do that. And Sonny was highly involved with Five Star. And the first time he met Michael was in the summer of 1980 when Michael was a nobody from North Carolina. Dean Smith didn't even want him to go to the camp because he didn't want any of these other coaches to see him, especially Lefty Drizel. He was worried about Maryland being able to get at him at the camp, right? So Sonny met Michael and Chris Mullen and Patrick Ewing and Lynn Bias all when they're sophomores and juniors in high school. So Sonny knows, has known these kids since then. Sonny is like has a Nike relationship since then. And Five Star was one of those camps where those brands got to those kids early. So like Nike and Sonny have been going at him since he was in 11th grade. You know, obviously back channeled, obviously under the radar conversations. So I don't know. It was just to me, the fascinating part of this movie was like this was the Disney vacation of the story where it's like Sonny had just been, you know, you know, scouting tape. And he's like, man, this Michael Jordan guy is unbelievable. Right. But like the reality is that Sonny knew Michael for and saw him first break people's brains at that camp where everyone's like, who is this kid? Right. I mean, he's the best shooting guard here. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it. So Sonny knew. Um, but Sonny never gets credit for knowing. And this movie, I thought was, you know, was really fascinating that they gave him that credit. And he's always kind of, 
weirdly yearned for that credit. And Michael always gave it to George Raveling. Yeah. He always gave it to, you know, David Falk, his agent, who I thought they did a good job with Falk. Because Falk has always claimed, like, he came up with Air Jordan in two minutes. That's like his, that's what he tells everybody. It's, that's his bit. He's like, uh, Air Jordan, you like it? Yeah, I came up with it in two minutes, under two minutes. Uh, that's that's his thing. So they, they did a good job making fun of that. But I, I, I thought that was like, from the insider looking at the outside of the picture, I thought that was that was a really fun wrinkle, and I'm happy for Sonny because everyone that works in basketball has probably talked to Sonny at some point, and we know that Sonny has always told that old story of like I'm the guy that got Michael to Nike, and Michael never kind of like co-signed it, but it felt like this movie it was kind of a wink, wink, like Sonny, here's your credit, you know? Yeah, yeah. I I mean they kind of yada yada some of the stuff that goes on. Like we don't really know in the movie how much how much Vicaro knows about Jordan, but they kind of don't totally like cover that. But you're right. I mean they just it's it was simpler. I think the way that they approached it. But then also, um, I was gonna say that um, there's an interesting kind of a thing. There's a there's a sort of a circular thing between what we just talked about, which was the inevitable buildup of these players and their value. Like the, the, what we're describing is the beginning of the the fertile soil that is like the these players, college basketball, these coaches, and then the shoe money. Like the shoe money hadn't like really exploded yet, and we're talking about the early days here. Like if you go and you watch like that Big East documentary, they talk about a little bit about like when you know uh, uh, Jim Beheim starts getting this money from. And the, these guys just start making tons of money and it, it becomes an unfair situation. But um, the other thing that I wanted to say um, was, do you think that they got it? I thought that they kind of they should have flipped it. I thought that Matt Damon should have played Phil Knight. And I thought that Ben Affleck should have played Vaccaro. The energies just fell off to me. Like, I don't, it didn't feel quite right. It felt like, I mean, Matt Damon is more like lovable dad energy than than Ben Affleck, which I feel like Sonny is more of like in the weeds. You know what I mean? Like there's a not a not a car salesman. I don't I mean, there's like a there's a salesman aspect to Sonny, right, that I think Ben Affleck could have leaned into and maybe yeah. given more of that depiction of Sonny. And, and the round ball classic is a classic in basketball. I mean, it, our, the round ball classic at one time when I was a kid was in Raleigh, North Carolina for two years. Then they moved it to Detroit or or maybe it was in Detroit before that. But like it was in Pennsylvania and it was a big thing. And that was all Sonny. Right. And then, and then like Sonny had the ABCD camp and, you know, he was big with Reebok. Right. Like the 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 first like generation of like Dwight Howard, J.R. Smith, Greg Odin, all those guys, like they're all Reebok kids because of Sonny. You know what I mean? So like Sonny and then like the, the round ball classic was uh, I, I, LeBron played in it. Right. And that was one of the games where everyone's like, oh, my God, obviously, ABCD yeah. was where LeBron made his name. But round ball classic is another like so Sonny has just been around, but he's also like in the trenches of the the underbelly. Right. That's probably the best word for it, the underbelly of, ba of grassroots basketball. And I think Ben Affleck would have thrived more showing that underbelly and like embodying that underbelly. And Matt Damon could have been more of the like, you know, eccentric Nike founder. You know what I mean? Like, I, I get yeah, right. Phil, I get Phil Knight has like a. I was saying like if 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 there were no pressure, kind of like a Bushimi or like a young Tim Curry, like a little weird, a right. little, a little, like a little dorky. Um, I don't know. And it like Ben only, Affleck it, went for cool. Like he he was going for cool. Yeah. 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 And I just think that like overall, um, it, I like the movie a lot. That's a nitpick. And it, my main thing that I liked a lot was that it, they did balance like getting some shots in there, like at like 
you know, Mel Turpin took some strays, I thought. Yeah, poor you know, Mel R. Turpin. R. Yeah. Poor Mel Turpin, who was a decent player. He wasn't. Yeah, you know, he had a good he career. A, he had a solid yeah. career. Yeah. But, you know, the, the little Gonzaga jokes and then things like that. But I, and like uh, the Jason Bateman quote that Orwell was right, 84 was a tough year. That's like an actual quote from like a Phil Knight thing. Um, but I wanted to say too, it wasn't it wasn't too gratuitous, which is what I was afraid of. I was afraid it was going to be like I just can't stand movies that like treat the audience like they're idiots. Like we have to look right into the camera and like wink at you, like hey, get this reference. Um, but uh, the last thing I wanted to tack on was like you were talking about the early Jordan like stuff with with the camps and stuff. The beginning of playing for keeps that David Halberstam book. I don't know if you've ever mm-hmm. read that. There's some really yeah. awesome detail about that time. If anybody wants to go read that, I would I would highly recommend it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like a fascinating because it, it's kind of like a time where hidden gems still existed, you know, like that, like you could actually be shocked to see a player that you had never heard of or seen before and they could blow up on the scene. Now we know about seventh graders. I mean, there, there's videos and footage of fourth graders that are out there playing like, you know, doing celebrations. Right. I mean, everything is documented now. And we know everything about everybody. But uh, that's why Jordan's that that whole recruitment is so fascinating, and Sonny believing him in him is fascinating. His mom, you know, being a part of those negotiations, right? Like what what a what an what an insane. I mean, obviously it was a fabricate. Like you know, I don't think Sonny ever went to North Carolina. I don't think that you know they had to get on the phone with Dolores and she was like negotiating. You know that he gets a percentage of the shoe all time, but like. I like that. I, I think it added like a, a, a nice narrative layer. And it also shows like Dolores Jordan is a boss. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. that that was like, I think that's why Michael agreed to the movie too, which is kind of a, a fun part of it because, you know, Michael, obviously his dad meant so much to him. And we know that with his response to his tragic passing and playing baseball and everything. But like his mom is kind of his guiding light. And I thought they did a really good job of, of, of showing us that and also showing us a Jordan that we almost get like the, um, the uh, the folklore where like we're told in North Carolina like Michael Jordan knew Nike was going to be the best. Michael Jordan said he needed his own. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, yeah. no, this was just a kid like anybody else. And he's like, Adidas is cool. I'm going to go sign with Adidas, right? I don't want to take this meeting. My mom's making me. You know, they they did a good job of, like humanizing it and not making it too, you know, m- mythological. I should say where it's like he just already knew, right? Because that's that's the only thing as a Jordan guy. I, I can get a little upset with that sometimes where it's like, oh, Michael Jordan planned this. He he knew that they were going to lose to Akeem Olajuwon in 94-95. That's why he stepped away. And it's like, no, that's that's it's not what happened. I mean, it sounds good. It sounds like he he would know. But like it happens with Kobe, too, where yeah. there's like the the mythology of it becomes bigger than the reality of it. You know, and I thought they did a good job of like grounding the situation where it's like it was kind of a family based decision. And George Raveling was one of the few people, black men in basketball, that was at a high level, right? And that's why Michael Jordan had such reverence for George Raveling. And George Raveling, you know, I mean, they did the, I thought they did a great job with the MLK speech. That's a true story. I mean, he's told me that story, Coach Raveling. Coach Raveling is one of the best resources in basketball in general. And he was a Nike guy. And that goes back to like, Dean Smith was a Converse guy, right? All these coaches, the, the first thing that these brands did was go to the coaches, and the coaches had, uh, you know, they were getting paid to be, you know, a part of a brand. And then eventually that filters down to the players. Right. So that's kind of like just what it was at that time. It was George Raveling's a Nike guy. He's like, I want to shepherd Nike and I want to help Nike have a, a position of power. There's this great player I've known since he was a junior in high school. And I think he has all the right qualities. Bob Knight in 1984 says he's the best player ever. You know, it's an insane he, clip, he, man. That clip right. is insane. 
He did right. that with Steph Curry, too. He said some pretty incredible stuff about Steph Curry. Oh, Bob Knight. Who knew? He knew what he was talking about. Really right. bizarre turn of events. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not about a lot of things, <laughs> but about basketball. He always knows what he's talking about. So, uh, yeah, yeah I, I thought it was a great movie. Uh, you know, the the two notes that I got, my girlfriend's from Eastern, or she went to school at Washington State. So, uh, Matt Damon calling Gonzaga Gonzaga. Uh, was a big one, and uh, she and uh, Spokane instead of Spokane. Like these are two things that. But you he know, might have made that mistake. Like he, oh, like the you know the character might yeah on purpose. Right, like they could have been like a Sonny Vaccaro always says that. So we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. And Appalachian State, it's Appalachian State. Um, it's not Appalachian State. I had to say that. And funny enough, the reason why I had to defend Appalachian State was the first coach to ever see Michael Jordan and tell anyone about Michael Jordan was Bobby Crimmins, who was the coach at Appalachian. State and Laney High School just went down there for a basketball camp when Michael was in ninth grade and Bobby Crimmins saw Michael Jordan told a bunch of people about him and everyone was like oh 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 and then eventually it got filtered back to Dean Smith he ended up coming to Carolina basketball camp and the rest is history so Bobby Crimmins is the real is the real superstar in all this the real eye of talent so shout out to Appalachian State and Bobby Crimmins that, that those are my final air thoughts. I appreciate you getting the record straight. And I feel, I feel like, I feel like I'm talking to like some kind of like biblical, you know, Aramaic <laughs> scholar from the, for like a biblical thing. Like I should, yeah. Tate's like, no, here's exactly what happened. <laughs> but I understand, you know, I understand in Carolina, you guys, you got a flame to protect and, and, and it's a, it's a precious thing. So I'm, and, I'm with it. I'm with it. And every single day, like the LeBron stands, you know, cause I, I consider myself a fan, not a stand, right? Those are two different things in my opinion, as Eminem documented so well with Dido back in the day. Um, but Michael Jordan, I am a fan. I, I do not think that he is, you know, without fault. I don't think anyone is, but, um, I like this story. I thought they did a good job. And they, I mean, Ben Affleck did a great job. I mean, directing and playing in the movie, I thought I thought there was some great writing. Um, and it was apparently a first time screenwriter that that wrote this script. Alex Condry, it, yeah, yeah. It's his, and he 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 wrote the script apparently without having he took a he took a gamble. He wrote the script without knowing he was gonna get the approval of the people it was depicting. So it was it was a big gamble. Uh, and it paid off for him, though. You know, yeah. So shout out to him. I mean, that that's like a great story. And then it was right because he watched the last dance. It was like this is a fascinating <laughs> yeah. story. So there yeah, you go. Yeah, apparently that's the way it went down. <laughs> and you know, the the only the only part of the movie I thought was weird was when they were like doing the the finishing pitch in the boardroom where they cut to that montage of like what Mike's life was going to be like. And they use like actual footage and stuff of like the, and I was yeah. just like eh, a little heavy handed, but the, the, but other than that, I didn't really have a problem with it. It was, it's just a fun time. That's what it I was, think we've, I think we've thoroughly endorsed it. Tate. I think. Yeah. yeah. It was a feel good movie. This is not an ad for air. And in fact, like if anything, <laughs> I was coming in hoping to be a hater because it's like two Boston guys making a story about North Carolina guys, but they did a good job. I, uh, Shout out to Kyle. It was worth it. Remember Kyle during March Madness? He left us to go record with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. It's true. Yeah. So it, it kind of all came full circle. So I, I I accept Kyle for doing that now. It was it was a great decision because it's a good movie. I enjoyed it. Yeah. But there go you see have it. it. Go <laughs> see it. There you go. Um, this has been One Shining Podcast. I'm your host, Tate Frazier. He's Kyle Mann. We will be back next Tuesday. This is uh this is what we're gonna be doing in the offseason. I'm excited. We got. We'll talk more NBA playoffs. We'll talk more transfer portal. But it's just good to talk to you again, man. I feel like we need the routine back. We'll get. We'll get back in a groove. We will. There's plenty. We'll. We'll find ways to to keep it going for sure. Well, there you have it. We will see you on Thursday. Thursday.